Welcome my friends to the sweet spot where IT leaders share the insights with other leaders and others that want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas and it's in every week. I'm here with my two co-hosts, Howard Holton and Paul Lewis. Hey there. Hey guys. Morning, morning. So um, Early morning, late morning. Uh, so it's early everyone, morning for you. I tell everyone when they're scheduling meetings for me, um, don't. Like you can schedule it pretty much any time. I'll do my best to make any meeting regardless of time. However, you get a very distinctly different Howard after 9 a.m. my local time. <laughs> Incredibly distinctively different. And it is currently 7.15 a.m. So I hope this is right up there with our with 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 our best of podcasts. But but if so, just know you're getting a different Howard this morning. <laughs> Subdued also, Howard. We're all wearing red, which I find to be a little odd. Interesting, um, yeah. Yeah. Nice. This does bring up maybe we should maybe we should coordinate a little bit next time. <laughs> New scheduling technique. So anything new this week? Uh, anything interesting? Yes. I finally went to the movie theater for the first time in I don't know how long. Nice. Wow. What do you what do you go to watch? So I went to watch Nobody. Yes, that's good. Yeah, I haven't watched that Was one. It, Did you see it, Paul? I haven't, but I do want to see it. it it's he's the least likely character to be the action hero, and that's right. what makes it appealing to me. So for those who don't know about it, it's Bob Odenkirk, who plays Saul in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Bob Odenkirk is a longtime comedy writer, and kind of his first serious role was Saul on Breaking mm -hmm. Bad. And it's kind of funny to hear him talk about getting that role, and it does kind of play into this. Um, and that is he's on the, he gets the call, he gets on a plane, he, he's flying and he's thinking about like, what's he going to do? Cause he's never watched any episodes. So he's watching some Breaking Bad on the plane. He lands, they give him the script and he's like, oh, how do I like, how do I make this me? How do I like, can I play with the script or do I have to do it exactly? He said, and then my internal monologue kicked off and goes, Bob, you're kind of a hack comedian. Maybe you should just take the words written by professional writers and actors and just do your best. Just right. Just assume they know what they're doing. Um, he doesn't have this like deep, straight, dramatic background that, mm -hmm. that you expect from most actors. And so with the popularity of John Wick, the writer, and I believe writer-director of the first John Wick, wrote this story and spent two years with Bob Odenkirk developing the movie Nobody, where he plays a middle-aged man who's the victim of a, um, a home invasion and a break-in. Um, and rather than, you know, going after the people that, attack, that, that, are, that are in his home, he lets them go. Mm. And his family basically, he, he just feels emasculated, right? His family, his work, everybody, right? He's just emasculated. And he was kind of emasculated before, you know what I mean? Middle-aged man, not right. really knows his place. And he decides to get revenge. And I'm not going to tell you anything more because, you know, even if the preview gives away more, go watch the preview. You know, I don't want to ruin it. Um, but I will say, not only was it great to get back to the theater and I really enjoyed that, that movie was the most fun I've had watching a movie in I can't really? tell you how long. And it was the movie itself. Wow. Um, okay. Like, it's great to be in the theater, but, but ultimately the movie was just an, like it was 30 minutes of slow and kind of funny. Because mm -hmm. uh, it is designed to be kind of funny, right? It's designed to be a little bit satirical. Sure. 
Um, and then it was an hour and a half of one action scene. <laughs> so a real John Wick. But it's just so, yeah, back yeah. to back. Yeah. So it's just, it's like, it's it sets you up and then it, for one story and then changes the story completely in the remainder of the movie. Um, and, and it's designed to be a little satirical. John Wick was not, right? So it's designed to have these little funny moments in it um, th that are flat out hilarious if you catch them. And it's because it, they're subtle, right? It's really good. It's really fun. Um, and it's set up for sequels. So, and I really hope they make them. The characters. Now, did you watch the original release or the six hour Snyder cut of that movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do have to say, I think it's a shame that they didn't do the Snyder cut in release in the theater. Hmm. Right. Um, I don't really want to watch a four hour movie at home that's designed to like it's it's letterboxed designed to be watched on the big yes. screen i didn't feel put, put a nice intermission in there so you can go get some more popcorn yeah. in the washroom yeah it'd be nice yeah yeah so did you actually watch the the snyder i know or... i did okay oh the other thing i did was we're house shopping oh congratulations so you know so i haven't i have a fine house that i don't like I'm sure it'd be great for a different family. I, I don't like it. I don't like how the flow is set up. I don't like like the things that I do in a house, this house isn't set up to do well. Um, I like to do dinner parties, right? I'm a chef, I like to do dinner parties. Um, I, I work from home. I want a little bit more space, a little more space between me and the neighbors. I don't know anybody in my neighborhood. Right. I liked. Um, also, they vote different than I do and make it apparent. So that's <laughs> problematic. Um, so we're shot a red, a lot of red lawn signs. Yeah, they, they, their their party colors match our shirt colors. Um, <laughs> there's a lot more saluting in their in their party though. Um, <laughs> so we started shopping for a house, and um, we went and looked at this house this weekend. And and the the bummer about where I live is if you want land, you end up buying a house far larger than I want, or you basically get a tear down. And I don't, right. I don't have the patience for a tear down. Right. So there's two of us and a half, right? There's my wife and I. My and part-time child. Yeah, well, she's going back to college in the fall. Right. And she wants to live on campus. She doesn't want to live at home. And that's fine. Um, so it's my wife and I. All of the houses we're looking at are 6,000 square feet. Wow. I wouldn't want that just because I didn't want to clean it on it. Well, that's what she says. She says, I'm not, I, don't, I don't want to clean it. But, no. but there's a story coming. So we go to look at this house. And from the outside, it looks like a damn castle. Nice. Right. Like it's shades of gray. There's, there's even a big like tower. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of got some sprawl to it, right? Big four car garage with four garage doors. Right. And there's like a building over to the side and it, and it, it's built into a hill, right? So this, this facade maintains on the hill. Um, and we're like, oh, that's cool. Like we're, we're castle people. We play. <laughs> <We're Great. castle laughs> and then you open the door and go in and it's a Mexican hacienda. <laughs> really? I'm not kidding at all. That's actually changed the inside. The owner is Mexican and that's what she's going for. She's going for a traditional Mexican hacienda on the inside. And we opened the door and walked in and went, what the hell is this? Because <laughs> pictures don't really convey the theme right. of the house, right? Like they're just snapshots. You see all that put together in reality and you're like, oh my God, that's a theme. <laughs> like dark burnt sienna walls. You know what I mean? Like so, it felt like a Tex-Mex restaurant. Um, it felt like a high-end Tex-Mex restaurant. Which <laughs> right. I guess. 
Got it. Right. Um, and then, you know, and we're at, like, we're walking and we're like, okay, cool. So this is neat. No, 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 we're not done. You're not done with the tour. Keep coming. Okay. This is neat. No, no, no. You're not done with the tour. Keep coming. Right. They just like kept finding more rooms, kept finding more space. There was a whole nother floor that we didn't see on the plans at all. It's oh, wow. Ridiculous. Yeah. So you made an not, offer. No, no, but, <laughs> but I actually might because the, so the market here is very strange, right? Um, in a, in a, in a, in your standard, like healthy market, you're supposed to have eight to nine months of, um, of properties, right? Right. If nothing new gets added to the market, every property should sell, should sell in eight or nine months. Right. Um, everything's been hot nationwide. So let's say a good market is six months, mm -hmm. Denver, two weeks. Wow. So you, you have to pick the one you see or you're not so getting it. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Um, and there's no deals. Oh, you're paying above listing or. So in most cases, yeah, there's a bidding war above listing. Like I could, I could likely sell my house for 50 to a hundred thousand dollars over estimate over listing and have a cash offer for that amount. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's stupid. So we're looking at this and because of how odd it is and it needs some updating, like it needs some yes. work, um, we could likely get it for 30% less than the listing. Wow. Wow. So there's a, so we're kind of, it's way bigger than what we need, right? But the theory is you put a hundred grand into it. You have yeah. 500 grand in equity you sell the place and move right. to something else, right? P take that equity and swing it into something else. And sure. so we're, we're discussing whether that's going to work for us or not. As long as you're okay living in like a Disney restaurant for free or so. Well, no, because the very first thing, so, so there is a 1500 square foot apartment above the garage. Oh, for your nanny. Oh, no, it's retarded. <laughs> it's, it's completely insane. It's not. Well, your housekeeper had to live somewhere, right? So now they. Right. Right. But we, but I, I kind of figured like we could move in there long enough to get it painted. Hmm. So it wasn't so like it's garish and I don't, right. I don't do garish. Right. So we could at least get it painted. And then while the rest of the improvements are going on, we could start moving into the house. So that's an actually interesting way of looking at things. You're allowing some things to happen. You think that you may be moving into it. You're trying to get consensus versus getting a perfect house you trying to move fast because the market is moving what is our topic for today yeah it does it, it actually does kind of play in pretty well right yeah like i'm trying to be agile in my decisions so that i can take advantage of a situation that allows me to to, to hit a market that i'm not currently in right yeah. i'm aiming for perfection knowing that i'm not likely to find it and my perfection is different than my wife's perfection and yet at the same time i am in a situation where i have to establish some sense of consensus and balancing those three kind of those three balls all the time is is difficult, and and that brings us that does in fact bring us to today's topic. It's the closest you've come to an appropriate segue, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't tell that story because I thought it would segue, but it was really nice that you kind of pointed it out, and it because <laughs> I did go through all three stages, right? So, so yeah, so today's topic is agility the the conflict between agility perfection and consensus because the reality is we need to we need to be more agile but it but agile falls apart the second we look for perfection because agility is is the antithesis of that right it's 
It's the, the opposite of perfection. And that's kind of the goal, right? Um, the traditional- Is that a generic statement or are we talking about technology decisions or are we talking about organizational change or any and all of that? I, I think it's any and all of that, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the problem with perfection is aiming for perfection is kind of where we were at with waterfall. Right. I have the perfect destination in mind based on everything I know today. And so we're going to set up a series of events where the end result is that perfection that I started with. Mm -hmm. Right. The rub is it never was. Right. And, right. and agile is the opposite of that. I'm not going to aim for perfection. I'm going to have an idea. I'm going to aim for that idea. And then as fast as I can put it in the hands of other people, I'm going to put it in the hands of other people and see what they think. I need to be doing right because ultimately I was never the customer to begin with so any thoughts I had on what perfection was for my customer wouldn't would be off by some percentage yeah because so, the, the negative consequence of a waterfall is that there's no returning right once you're in the barrel and you're going down you're not starting back up again right you you better ensure that that barrel is perfectly built because there's no there's no redo uh yeah. whereas an agile you know, it's, it's only one foot, one foot waterfalls, right? And you can constantly re retrofit for the next waterfall that's coming up to you. Um, adjust, right? Yeah. So let me ask you a question. What is consensus to you? Because sometimes we say, let's get consensus, but only one team get consensus to whatever they want. And they never agree with anybody else. So why should be the definition of consensus? Uh, I mean, that's a trick question, Carlos. <laughs> okay, that's I my job. <laughs> I, I, I know, but the, but I can't answer that well because the fact is consensus is different in every organization, right? And, and what that demand is is different in every organization. Personally, I believe that consensus is the lowest common denominator in any group, hmm. right? Consensus is actually awful. Because if, if we all have to agree, the more people you have, the more the lower the common denominator is going to be. And regardless, all we're going to do is settle on the thing that's the least offensive to everyone. That's how you get consensus. Right. Right? It's the least far away from the thing that I want across the board. We, we don't actually aim for what's, what, the, what the best is we could hope to accomplish. We aim for what's the thing we can all agree on that's common and that's the lowest common denominator. And I see it as an impact issue, right? So if we're talking about a consensus of what we should have for lunch, that is a very low impact. But if we're talking about what uh, strategic direction we should go with, what company we should buy, uh, who should we should marry, right? Those, those who we should marry. That is not a consensus-based decision. That's right. Those are relatively <laughs> large issues. And when one shouldn't lowest common denominator of those issues? Well, put 47 people in a room and try to determine what is our go-to-market slogan for the year, you're going to end up with something that doesn't make any sense. Right. And it's going to be one word and everybody will interpret them differently. And that, or, that, is, that is the actual, that's what I ask you the question, because I've seen that time over and over and over. So... If we, if getting consensus is going to get us to the lowest common denominator, what should be 
the decision in this conflict? Should we be going then for perfection then and eliminate consensus? Or should we be going for agility? See, but I, that's, that's the other kind of problem is um, ultimately you have to get to a shared mindset, right? Ultimately, whoever has to execute on whatever the vision is you're talking about in this particular case, you, you have to get everyone to share a destination or you're going to drift apart regardless of what you choose, right? Consensus isn't evil all the time, right? But it is evil when it's big. I like that you lean for it's not evil all the time <laughs> it's only helpful for the uh for the youtube viewers but yeah. <laughs> but but uh, the 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 challenge is at some point we have to get enough consensus to be on the same page we have to be get enough consensus to have the same destination to have the same goal to have that shared mindset so that we're all working together once we leave with the same goal in mind so how do we find a spot where consensus is a, a positive and not an enormous negative? Well, if we're gonna to fall to the lowest common denominator, that's where an agile mindset may actually be helpful in consensus, right? Let's not solve the problem of 10 years from now, let's solve the problem of 10 days from now. Or it's consensus of agreement versus consensus of decision. Sure. So yes, there is a decision that maybe only most of us, not all of us agree with, but, or at least decide, but all of us leaving this room will agree to the decision going forward sure. as a unified leadership, as an example. Sure. And, and it's also okay to say, hey, these are the problems of the organization. Can we agree on those? Yes, we have consensus, right? We're not agile. We're, we're, we're uh, opposed to change. Um, we don't trust our data. We don't, you know, whatever it happens to be, right? We need these things are missing from the organization. Can we agree on that? Yes. Okay, so then what's the next step? The next step is to get three to five people in a room. Three to five people can actually drive consensus that's relatively good, that's relatively useful, right? Mm -hmm. The difference between them and 27 people is a, is a logarithmic scale, right? Um, right. And, and, and I think if there was a takeaway on consensus, that would be it. Nothing good comes from a meeting of 27 people. You can agree on a problem with 27 people. You can never find a solution with 27 people. You, can, you, you can't even make progress against the solution with 27 people. Right. Right. So, or, or you just break up the problem into 27 different smaller problems and everybody does their own. Well, and each person gets three minutes to talk about it. It doesn't actually work that way. Right. right? Um, so, so if you're looking for agreement on a problem, that a problem exists, 27 people is fine. You can find consensus in 27 people. Hey guys, are we good at change? No. Hey guys, do we trust our data? No. Hey guys, you know, is IT responsive? No, right? You can generally find that level of consensus, but, but it's, it's, you're simply just saying, is this a problem, right? We're agreeing, we're not really driving to a solution. Now you go, okay, cool. We're gonna find a solution for that. Five people is your max period. And that might mean you need to break the problem down into smaller pieces, mm -hmm. right? Breaking down the problem into smaller pieces is the fundamental component of that job. I think, smallest, I think longevity like of decision is also a problem set there, uh, where, uh, which is my, you know, big issue with architectural purity, which oddly enough is distinctly opposite to how most CTOs think, right? <laughs> Like I, I have a concern that we're that you one would build something uh, that exists that is purposely going to exist for a hundred years, 
versus building something that purposely exists to solve the problem that's at hand. And while it's interesting to abstract so much so that, you know, every class you have is called class, right? <laughs> and, and one could use this platform or this technology, this application for literally any purpose in any, for any future need. Um, I'm not necessarily sure that it's valuable to wait three years for, you know, version one to occur, right? It, it doesn't make sense for have so much purity that the longevity is so long that it's in fact not usable in the situation that I need it right now. Agile versus not agile, right? I, I'm not getting the business agility I require with the architectural purity that I've implemented. Uh, I, I'm not sure I can be convinced either way. Right? I, I'm not sure I can be convinced even with large, you know, big cloud providers that uh, replaceability wasn't more important than longevity, right? So, it's so go ahead. There's a couple of spots where I could see that yeah. where I could see like a hundred years of longevity being important. A freeway and <laughs> yeah. marble, sure, right? a marble statue. Like other than that, I don't really see a lot of places. Like it's this is technology. I couldn't tell you what. Like, could you really tell me what what the best framework is going to be in five years from today? No. Nope. Why the hell would I design for that? <laughs> right? right. Like, there are things that I know I'm absolutely unequivocally going to need in ten years. I'm going to need data that answers questions better today than it better in ten years than it does today. Okay, so how do I build for that? Right. I'm absolutely going to need to scale my enterprise to a level that I'm not at today. Otherwise I die, right? right? I, can't, I can't remain flat for 10 years and, and actually call myself a, you know, a company anybody wants to work for. It doesn't really, like there are exceptions, but for the most part that, that would be seen as a failure at the sea level. So those things I need to be able to do, but predicting what technology I'm gonna use in 10 years is really, really, really hard and always wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, unless it's a big kind of arbitrary decision. Are we going to be a Linux shop in 10 years? Uh, we could make that decision today. That's not going to kill us. Right. But designing the perfect platform that's going to be released in 10 years to solve the problems that I see today. No, that's not, I'm not going to be able to. Right. Especially since I'm going to envision replacing that three times in that decade. Because I know right? markets will collapse, markets will create, markets will consolidate, and therefore new needs will be will be you know originated sure enough to solve for them sure and and there are there are absolutely things where i think there are exceptions but they're so edge case it's ridiculous right a well-funded startup designed to solve some of the food shortage problems we see coming in the next decade mm -hmm. okay right i could design for that but but i'm not actually designing the software the software's not gonna be the same in 10 years i'm actually designing the hardware that's gonna be that's gonna be released in 10 years Right, so it's reasonable to assume the software design I start with today, the prototypes that I build today are gonna to look wholly unlike the prototypes that I release in a decade. Right. If, if it even takes me a decade, right? Flying cars is another one, right? Which I think we've mentioned before, there's an automotive company that has a flying car project um, and it makes logical sense to do that. And, and it's easily a decade away, but everything's gonna change to make it within that decade to make those parts fit together to create a flying car. Right. right. So there's, there isn't really any stasis, even in the case that we're building something that won't be released for 10 years, we're likely to go through multiple iterations of tool sets, multiple iterations of 
of as as we learn and as we evolve and as we really accept the complexity of some of these more complex product projects, right? Even that stuff's likely to change over ten years. So so that's where we get into the perfection piece of the conversation, right? And it's especially difficult because engineers love to aim for perfection, mm -hmm. right? We all do. What's the perfect anything? Insert like. The internet is full of forums dedicated to finding the perfect insert object here. Right? The perfect platform, the perfect programming language, the perfect backpack. Right? It doesn't matter, the perfect car, like everything. Right. We're, we're somehow so enamored by the idea of perfection that we end up putting ourselves in this analysis paralysis state. Is that really perfect? Is that really perfect? It's okay. Can we be? influenced by what leadership may be asking us. What are the best practices so we can implement this? Oh, absolutely. Can you, can you be sure about that? So what, how should they be looking at it then in a different way? How should leadership then be influencing their people? Because can they be just receiving what they ask for? One of the biggest burdens of business is a ask for and an expect expectation of repeatability, right? So there's an expectation that if we perform these functions time and time again, one should be able to build software technology or implement process to which ensures that I have some consistency and repeatability of this thing over time. Uh, that is a arguably a reasonable expectation um, and translating that into technology or into platform requires some set of architectural purity and abstraction. The problem is repeatability in many ways creates, uh, removes creativity from the process, right? It removes your ability to, to, to bend at the will of a customer, to implement your conscious when you need to, uh, to, um, take external factors and apply them to current day problems, um, which isn't helpful, right? So the goal of repeatability for cost savings sometimes is a detriment to the organization, especially if implemented in technology. Especially, especially if, if you don't have the right goal when you, when you start out, right? right. Like we want, every, we want a catalog of, of things that we do and then all we're going to do is sell to that catalog. Okay, that works fine when it's, you know, office products. Right, a pencil. Right, um, and I can give you 40 different pencils. So you have the, the, the pencil you think is right for you, but when it comes to the, the intricacies of software that becomes a lot more complicated, right? right. But, but I think to Carlos's question is a, is a tad, like it's a tad different. There's a false dichotomy created when we say best. Hmm. Right. And I think that's that's a piece to look at, right? From the, the C-suite down, right? I want, can we, are we following best practices for security? Right. Right. Um, that's actually the question, even if the statement is, I want to follow best practices for security. Right? Right. It's up to everyone that receives it. And this is something that, that, that I, I do think is worth a little conversation, probably not today. And maybe we do a talk on the definition of, of um, trusted advisor. But this is where every single person that works for me, I expect to be a trusted advisor to me. Mm -hmm. Right? I didn't hire you because you could do the job. I hired you because I trusted your opinion on how to do the job. Right? Right? So that means I trust you to tell me whether what I just said even makes sense. 
And I trust you to tell me what we should be doing about the thing I just asked you about. Cause I asked you to do it. I didn't do it myself. Right. Right. If I'm going to do it myself, I'm happy to, to, to make my own success and make my own failure. But the fact is, if I tur turn to you and say, hey, I think we need to follow best, I think we need to follow best practices according to NIST for security, I expect you to go, no, that doesn't make sense for us. <laughs> we're not in that space. We're not in that thing. We're not, we don't right. do that. So no, I'm not. No, I think what's best for us instead is to do these six things, right? We don't have an on, we don't, we don't have on-prem. We are, we're cloud only, we're whatever, whatever. Um, so I, I, you know, we'll follow this or, hey, the thing you just brought up is in conflict with the GDPR, which we have to follow because of this. So I'd like to do this instead, right? Um, as a CIO, I, I never actually had some hard rule other than I only have a limited amount of budget, right? And I can't create more hours in the day. Like there were, there were certain things that were fundamentals that I couldn't change. I can't, I don't have an infinite budget. I can't hire an infinite number of people. Mm -hmm. right? Kind of those things. Otherwise, my expectation is if you work for me, I expect you to come back and tell me where I'm wrong or tell me what we should be doing because I hire you because I trust you. Right. right? Or you work here because I trust you. I may not have trusted you the day I hired you, right, implicitly, but by now I probably implicitly trust you and I'm really looking for that advice, right? You're not just an order taker. Um, and that's a behavior that I see frequently. I see it a lot, right? This fear, I can't tell my boss no. No, no, no. Part of the reason he hired you was to tell him no. <laughs> right. Right. Like, and if your boss can't handle no, if your boss can't handle, I think we should do it a different way, find a different job. Right. And let's be clear. If you're listening to this podcast, you're employable elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right? I agree. Um, and to your top of your rant's point um <laughs> it's a swayed a bit uh that that it it's best practice uh given the situation right it's best practice for this company it's best practice for this department it's best practice for this technology not best practice holistically in the world and apply them all to my business right nobody is cmmi level five because it's impossible to be CMMI level five. No, you, your your business wouldn't operate if you're CMMI level five, right? So you've got what's what's the best for us that creates the appropriate agility that maximizes our potential revenue. Give me that level, and that's the level I'll implement. Well, I think that it was good, an awesome topic. Chat. <laughs> looking at how we truly sometimes try to go to be agile but we have the challenge that we need to get consensus and we at the end of the day we never get it because we're trying to be perfect but how we can give and contrast and get to a point to really be agile agree on what we have to agree and then try to reach that perfection in the correct way within the IT organization. My friends, as always, make sure that you share this podcast with your team. Make sure that you subscribe so you can get our notifications when we go live and when we share, and we'll see you on our next episode.